I want to talk to you tonight for a bit about what I want to describe as this, when heaven rejoices. I've noticed that there is a kind of sadness that often comes on people when they are thinking about the sins they've committed or the ways they've fallen short or the regrets that they have or the disappointments. And whenever we come together on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, the 10 days of awe, we notice something that as a Jewish family, we're accustomed to hearing words about repentance during this season. But for many Jewish people, repentance is a word that's only thought about during the season, and some, for some, it's only on Yom Kippur that it's even thought about. So when we talk about repentance, and we take it seriously, and we take the idea of being accountable to God seriously, I've noticed that many people get kind of sad, and they do take the idea seriously, they examine themselves, and then they start feeling bad. In, in fact, that's exactly what happened in the days of Nehemiah. When Ezra the priest brought out the Torah scroll, as we will do tomorrow at our service tomorrow morning, and together with the Levites, they read it in the public square and they made it understandable to the people, which involved at least a couple of things, at least translating it in such a way that the people who were not so familiar with Hebrew would understand it, because many had gathered there at that time uh, from the exile, and so they were getting renewed in their exposure to Hebrew. And it also involved making certain things understandable that may not be understandable to those who were, who were listening. And the Scripture tells us it was on the first day of the seventh month, which is the day of Rosh Hashanah. That was the day, the day of blowing the shofar. That's what was called for, listening to the shofar and humbling ourselves before God. That's when they were gathered together, and the people were hearing about the holidays. The Scripture specifically says they heard about Sukkot, that was still to come. And by the way, our Sukkot is still to come, and you can RSVP so that we know you're coming and we have enough food for our picnic when you come. But that's not all they heard. Some people think that the whole message was about Sukkot, but it wasn't. And here's how we know. The people were hearing about the holidays, including the Feast of Sukkot, but they were hearing about much more than that. We know that because it tells us in Nehemiah that the Scriptures were read out loud publicly in the public square to everyone who had gathered from early morning until midday. So it does not take that long to read a few verses about Sukkot. They were reading about Yom Kippur, I'm sure, about Rosh Hashanah. They were reading about humbling themselves before God, repenting of their sins. And it touched people's hearts. And maybe 
it was because many people realized how far they were from the Lord, how far they were from the Word of God. And it tells us that the people were weeping when they heard the Torah being read. So what they heard and how they heard it touched them so deeply that they were weeping. And it tells us in the book of Nehemiah that Nehemiah, who was the governor at the time, and Ezra, who was the priest and the scribe, and the Levites who taught the people said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord. Now here's the thing, when, when they said that, you would think they were trying to get even more serious with the people. But let me read to you what they said. This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. Nehemiah, Ezra, the whole group of Levites who had teaching ministry. They all said this. I, I don't think they said it like in unison, one declaration, but this was the intent of what they said. This was like the essence of what they said. So that tells me, knowing how services go and how assemblies go, that Nehemiah and Ezra and the Levites must have huddled together in some way or talked with each other and said, do you see what's going on? We need to tell the people something. We need to tell them something so that they know how to respond. And when religious leaders get together on the high holidays and they want to tell people how to respond, you know, it is a fair chance to try to stick it to everybody who's only there for the holiday. It's a great opportunity to make people feel bad. And the people were already weeping. And so these leaders all agreed together, we've got to tell them something. And they said, this day is holy to the Lord. Don't mourn. Don't weep. And the scripture goes on to say, because all the people were weeping when they heard the words of Torah. And then Nehemiah said to them, go eat the festival foods, drink the sweet drinks, send portions to him who has nothing prepared, for this day is holy to our Lord. Don't be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your refuge. And so the Levites quieted all the people. That's a ministry that we Levites call the hush ministry. And they said, be quiet, be still, because the day is holy. Don't be grieved. And then all the people at the end went away to eat and drink and send portions and to celebrate a great feast because they understood the words 
which had been known, made known to them. And so this is such a contradiction for many people. It's a paradox for people. You're called to examine yourself. You're called to acknowledge the holiness of God and our accountability to God and to take careful note of our hearts and our condition, the condition of our relationship with God. So we're to take all of that seriously so that we can turn to the Lord so that we can experience the joy of the Lord so that we can live for God and serve God with joy. Now, I've been a grandfather for quite some time. I think over 25 years now. And a father as well. And I've learned from years of working with children, grandchildren, not just mine, yours too, and some others, that sometimes you have to tell a child to apologize. How many of you have had that experience? And you may also have the experience of, of finding out that children will say they're sorry more easily than they will acknowledge what they did that was wrong. How many of you know what I'm talking about? How many of you had parents who told you that? And you probably noticed that sometimes little children will heed the words of their parents and say to their sibling who they had punched or bit or scratched or whatever, whatever they did, they'll say, sorry. And sometimes they'll barely make it an audible confession. Sorry. Sorry. But I've noticed that many kids are like this. They'll say they're sorry in compliance. And in fact, what they're thinking is they're sorry they got caught. (laughs) Yeah? So I've learned to ask children, well, what are you sorry for, for? And you know what? until someone recognizes what it is that they did that was wrong or what it is that they're changing, then their apology can often be empty. And you see this in public life. You know that many famous people have done terrible things. And when they were forced to make an apology, it was in this form. I'm sorry if I did anything that may have hurt someone's feelings. Something like that. This type of empty, empty apology. Sandy and I lived and worked in many different countries for many, many years, and we learned something 
we learn that the word repentance is not an everyday word in almost any language. In fact, you can go for weeks without hearing anyone say, repent, and without hearing anyone say, I repented. It's just not part of normal vocabulary, it's part of religious vocabulary. But it's not everyday language. And working with people in many different language, languages, I found it's common, not just in English, but it's, it's common in many different places that when you ask people what repentance means, typically people will say, uh, you know, feeling bad, crying, feeling sad or sorrow. And so when we talk about repentance during these days, and when you hear such a word, many people just think about feeling bad, even crying tears, weeping. But the Hebrew word is completely different. The Hebrew word teshuva is not about crying tears. It's about changing direction. It's about recognizing that you're going in the wrong direction and changing the direction. And so, turning around and turning to God is what repentance is really all about. Turning away from sin, because that's the, the consequence of turning to God. If you go in God's direction, you're not going away from the Lord. You're going towards Him when you turn to the Lord. Tears and crying without turning. That may be repentance in many languages, but it's not repentance according to Hebrew or the Bible. Going in a new direction, turning to God and away from things that separate us from God, that's real repentance, even if it's not with tears and crying. You know, some people are just naturally more... lacrimose. You know what that means? Tearful. Not cheerful. Tearful. They cry more when they feel bad. But even if it's not with tears and with, it's not with crying, making a change of direction, this is genuine repentance. And in fact, Real repentance, the gift of repentance that leads to life, may have an element of regret and sorrow and tears. But the life that comes to us this way is filled with joy as well. It's a change of heart, a change of direction, a new life that keeps God front and center. So when I say heaven rejoices, when heaven rejoices, it's building upon the Rosh Hashanah declaration of Nehemiah and Ezra and the Levites, which we just heard about. But I realized that they were pro proclaiming that the people should rejoice. So what does it mean for heaven to rejoice? 
And that's what I, I want to tell you, and I want to tell you in the most simple way, by reading to you what Yeshua said about this. One passage in Luke chapter 15, verses 3 through 10, is all it takes. Yeshua told the Mishal. A Mishal could be a parable, but it's, uh, it's a story that helps us get an idea. Luke chapter 15, verse 3, Yeshua told them this Mishal, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. And then he calls his friends and his neighbors together and he says, Rejoice with me, I found my lost sheep. Yeshua then said, I tell you, in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Or, suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. I'll tell you my parable. Suppose you lose your keys and you really have to get going and you can't find your keys. How many of you are like me? You get a little bit nervous. How many get more than a little bit? You don't have to admit it. Your family knows. <laughs> and how many can relate to this? The relief and the joy when you find your keys. You see, when you lose something that you had, it feels terrible. And you put all this effort in, and when you get it back, when you find what was lost, doesn't it make you happy? That's what Yeshua was talking about. In the same way, when someone is lost to God, and then they're found, there's rejoicing in heaven. The Lord's rejoicing. There's rejoicing in front of the angels. There is joy whenever someone turns to God. Isaiah put it this way. Not emotion, something else. Isaiah 53, verse 6. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. And each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of all of us to fall on him.
For many of us, we have this false image of ourselves, an image that we don't sin. It's not true. That's what Isaiah is talking about. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. All of us. And each of us has gone his own way. Each of us has been independent of God. And sometimes more than that, disobedient to God. And sometimes more than that, defiant of God. But all of our iniquity has fallen on him. So that raises the question. It's not good English, but I'm going to say it. Who is the him? Isaiah says it's the suffering servant. And so the question is, who is the one who suffered? And here's the answer. It's the anointed one. It's Messiah who took upon himself the very punishment and penalty which we deserved. Now, Rosh Hashanah is also called Yom Hazikron, the day of remembering. And what are we to remember? We're to remember that God rejoices when we turn to him. God rejoices when we repent. The Lord rejoices when someone who has strayed away returns to him. Heaven rejoices. Angels rejoice. Hakadoshim, the saints rejoice. The Lord is not just a righteous judge and king. He is also a merciful and compassionate and loving God who is waiting for his children and making it possible for his children, even the ones who can barely say, I'm sorry, to actually open their hearts to him and change their direction and have a change of heart and go in his direction and go to him. We don't have to wait until we die to deal with this. We don't have to wait for the world to come. We deal with it now in the land of the living. And I can tell you, when we make that great turn towards the Lord, and when we do so with sincerity and humility and with all of our heart, there is a moment of sorrow where we recognize all that we wish we had not done or had not been. But it's followed by weep not, mourn not. This is a holy day. And the joy of the Lord changes everything. One last thought. Even agnostic Jews and even atheist Jews wants to take a chance during these high holidays. And so it's, it's true for many Jewish people that on the holidays they're going to take a chance and confess their sins. And maybe they'll be forgiven. Maybe. So I just want to tell you, if you're watching by 
uh, live stream, if you're listening by podcast, if you're here in the sanctuary and you're on the maybe side of life, I want to encourage you to open your heart and use this, this time of listening to the shofar as a time to turn and to be decisive and to say, this is a holy day, and I am going to change my direction and put my trust in God, the merciful judge, the righteous king, who will receive me and rejoice when in humility I confess my independence, my defiance, my disobedience, my sin, my iniquity, all of it, he will receive me with open arms. It's a wonderful thing to do. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that we can humble ourselves before you, the King, the righteous judge, the Redeemer, and that you make it possible for us who have no worthy deeds in our own to find life abundant life, eternal life, forgiveness and restoration through your great mercy. Thank you for Yeshua who, who has become the offering for our sin. In his name we pray. Amen. I want to ask you to uh, stand right now. <clears throat> our Father, our King, be merciful and answer us that we have no worthy deeds. Treat us charitably with loving kindness and save us. In Yeshua's name we pray. Amen. Avinu Malkinu. Avinu Malkinu. Avinu
There's a great prayer. Zachreinu l'chaim. Zachreinu l'chaim melechafetz b'chaim. Bechadvenu b'sefer ha'chaim. Lamancha Elohim chaim. We pray this with all the Jewish people. Remember us unto life, O King, who delights in life, and inscribe us into the book of life for your sake, O God of life. I can tell you this, because of Yeshua, we can have confidence. The confidence that Yeshua describes in Luke chapter 10, verse 20. Don't rejoice in the fact that spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. We're in heaven. Revelation 3.5 tells us, He who overcomes will be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life. But I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. Zachreinu l'chaim.
remember us, Lord. I want to invite the Shofar team and Aaron Diem to come up. As they're coming up, I want to read to you one verse from Psalm 65, verse 11. My, my wife, Sandy Matukati, my sweet, sends this to you. Psalm 65, verse 11, you crown the year, Lord, with your goodness and your paths drip with abundance. And another translation, the NIV says, you, Lord, crown the year with your bounty and your carts overflow with abundance. Amen. Aaron. Are you ready to help me? You can. Why don't you take your mock zor, turn to page 44. This day is known as Yom Teruah. The day of the blast can be the day of the shout. I need to hear a little shouting here. Some people need no encouragement, right? So I'm going to call out, I'm looking at the top line here on page 44. I'm going to call out, like I did before, four blasts, Kia, Shavroim, Turua, and then Tekia, Gedola. And I would like you to join me in the calling of these blasts. We'll do that. I'll do the blast, and then we'll do the next one. We can work as a team, yes? Yes. yes. All right. Are you ready? Takia. Shavarim Tarua Takia Gadola Stephen. Stephen. Okay. Tomorrow, maybe we'll have. <laughs> Simply red. Daniel, thanks also for wonderful violin tonight. And Shofar team, thank you so much. We're going to close with Aaron's blessing. But first, for those of you who are participating on live stream, would you consider standing with us financially? You can find out all the information on our webpage, bethisraelnow.com giving. We're going to close with Aaron's blessing, and then we're going to go next door for a little holiday nosh with challah and apples and sweet fellowship together. Yivarechecha Adonai, v'yishmarecha, y'er Adonai, panavelecha v'yichunecha, y'sa Adonai, panavelecha, v'yasemlecha, shalom. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his face to you and give you his peace in the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace.
Amen. Shabbat shalom. Lashana tova.